Welcome to Fire Headlines. In this podcast, we cover the hottest topics in fire service news. Now, our regular listeners know we're typically attaching our stories to most clicked in the Daily Dispatch. This topic today, the wildfire and wildfires that hit Maui, Hawaii, wasn't any particular article. This is dominating our headlines and has been for two weeks. And we wanted to talk about it here with experts who are really close to the source on this type of event. Inanna's off today. I'm sitting in the host seat. I'm Bob Horton, and I'm here with my panelist buddy, Jeff Buchanan, Chief Buchanan. Welcome. Glad to be here, Bob. We've got three special guests to help provide us some insight into the Maui wildfires. First, we're, we're real proud to welcome retired Maui fire chief. He was fire chief for 10 years in Maui, grew up in that community. He's now the Western Fire Chief's uh, rep for the state of Hawaii. Chief Murray, welcome. Thank you, Chief. Thank you. We have Chief Bob Roper. Chief Bob Roper is a retired fire chief from Ventura County, California. He was Nevada District Forester and has connections across the, the wildfire community nationally, internationally. He serves as a wildfire policy advisor to the Western Fire Chiefs, and we're grateful to have you here today, Chief, for your insight as well. Welcome to Fire Headlines. Thank you, Bob. You bet. And and Grady Joseph. Grady is the damage assessment lead for the Western Fire Chiefs Association, where he works to improve the way our communities recover from disasters. Prior, Grady was the assistant director of recovery operations and then logistics management at the California Governor's of Office Emergency Services. He's on the ground at, at Maui as we speak, and he's going to share a little bit later with us about how digital damage assessment works and how it's helping communities. Grady, welcome to Fire Headlines. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Chief Murray, listen, our hearts go out to you, to the community, to the firefighters in Maui and Hawaii, to the devastation that's impacted your community. All of us at the Western Fire Chiefs and all of our listeners here at Fire Headlines, our, our hearts are heavy with the news. We'd like to, to hear about your perspective. We're going on, it's almost two weeks now. I did want to point out that we're recording this on, on August 21st for our listeners because the situation and the discoveries are so dynamic and things are changing uh, hour by hour and day by day. August 8th, four wildfires broke out on the island of Maui. Erratic winds with other challenging terrain, as we understand, it was making this fire difficult to battle. As of yesterday, three of the four fires are still burning. The number of fatalities was at around 114, and there are still many, many missing. Chief, what can you tell us about about the fire? You know, this time of year uh, on Maui and all the Hawaiian islands, we have our challenges with drought conditions, red flag warnings, and, and extreme weather due to hurricanes and what have you. So this was one of those situations where Hurricane Dora was south of us, a little over 600 miles, that started to produce some winds for the islands. It got downgraded to a tropical storm, but nevertheless, those types of winds produce heavy gusts and unpredictable weather in, in most areas. So on the 8th, the first fire that broke out was up in the Pukalani Kula area. In that area, the wind blows earlier than on the west side. For some reason, it pushed fire up in the Kula area, which ended up scorching 678 acres over, over a week's time. So that was going on. That was the all hands on deck situation because of the distance in between the fire and a lot of homes that were spread out and the terrain 
the inaccessibilities and all of those things. So they already had a bunch of guys on that. And so when Lahaina had their fire, they had it in an area that it was contained. So so that was later on in the day. So they did dozer lines and what have you. They had everything kind of situated. And again, the same wind conditions sparked that area up later in that afternoon that went through the whole night, right? When you look at how the wind moved up the slopes of Haleakala and the Kula area, and then down um, the West Maui Mountains, uh, which its peak is Pu'ukukui. And so historically, when the wind comes out of the east, like our normal trade, like a northeast wind, and then it's the propulsion of, of, of a storm that moves it downwind, it changes changes all, all the rules, right, of engagement. The issue with that is the way the mountain lies. And so the wind hit that right off that mountain. It's it's very similar to how people explain Santa Ana winds. It's exactly that same phenomenon that happens there. And that's what happens. So if you got 85 mile an hour winds moving through the slopes of West Maui and it picks up that dry grass that's kind of near or around residential areas, those things happen. And this is not a battle that we haven't fought in the past. Every single year we fight these fires, you know, put in safeguards to to move the fire breaks and all of those things. But sometimes it's just beyond what nature produces for you. I believe that had a lot to do with their inability to to make it happen. Because as you know, in the news, what happened on the ground was extremely challenging for our firefighters as well as the citizens. And so firefighters had to find their way out to save their own lives at some point. And so they got overrun multiple times. And when they were fighting fire, the fire uh, advanced ahead of them without their knowledge. In cases of four to five homes or like a block distance or slightly more than a block was burning already. When they were trying to get people to evacuate, the people had to evacuate through fire as well. And they thought the fire was be behind them, but it was also in front of them, to the side of them and pretty much everywhere. And that whole area slopes until you get into Lahaina town. So the wind picks up speed and it does that same leapfrog effect throughout that whole area and so now they were, they were just overrun i mean we lost many many vehicles fire apparatus you name it all kinds of things um you know thankfully we didn't lose any uh lives as far as firefighters trying to protect people but they stayed there as long as they could it, it's it's gut-wrenching to listen to what was actually happening to them and you know we hear these stories and we all want to make it better and hopefully there's a, a point in time when we can learn from all of this and we can help people across our country and the world of how to, you know, avoid situations like this. And I know I'm speaking to the choir, but I appreciate everybody's help and really not letting their foot off the gas pedal moving forward to try to make, you know, every fire a, a little bit better and, and more controllable. Let me get back to the Lahaina area. So it, it scorched uh, over 2,170 acres. 2,200 of those acres held residents, so residential homes, and the rest were uh, commercial businesses. So uh, Chief Horton alluded to the death toll as of yesterday was at 114. As of today, about half an hour before this cast, we, we looked at it again and it's still at 114. But that doesn't mean it's stopping because there's still much more to search and a lot more dense areas to search. Talking about searching, I'm trying to keep track of the missing. Okay, so there's a list of people that are found. 
And at one point, there were over 6,000 people that were missing. That list has gone down. Right now, the missing are at 799 to 917. I mean, if we, if we look at this fire as being our country's worst death fire and, and the possibility of it rising even more in, in this last century, that, that's a sad moment in our country's history. There's a lot of other things that we can talk about, you know, the economy and all of those things and how that's going to be affected, but just the magnitude of what's actually, what actually happened. So let me talk a little bit about the department. So the department had people that were called in already on that Pugalani Kula fire. And so they had recalls instituted. And then when Lahaina broke out, they had a recall team that went that direction on the first initial fire. Resources were thin on that day. And so when Lahaina took off and, and in the way that it did, there was only so much people that could be at work at that time anyway. So then it became a, a mass call out. And I'm not even sure of what the real number was of the firefighters because we roughly have about 332 formed firefighters and the rest are lifeguards and admin staff. So it immediately overwhelmed our resources. You know, whether it be law enforcement resources, fire department resources, medical resources, hospital resources, we, we were inundated. The fact that you cannot travel through that areas during that time of just inferno really, really set back that area. It, it, this is going to go down in the books, and I just really hope we learn a lot of things from it and, and move forward despite all the loss that we've had. Sure. And thank you for that, for that background, Chief. How's the spirit of the community and and particularly also the spirit of the firefighters? I'm hearing similarities to the fire we had in Jackson County in terms of firefighters working long hours. Uh, Frankly, Chief, they were unwilling to go home. Like they, we said, listen, you've been working 96, 120 hours straight. It's like, we need, we, we need you to go home. We need relief. Uh, and they, they wouldn't have any of it. They weren't, they weren't leaving. It sounds like a similar experience there at Maui. How's the spirit of the firefighters in the community? Well, you know, two weeks in the first week, they were all on adrenaline and we got some relief. I really want to make sure that the community knows um, that the Honolulu fire department sent 60 firefighters to assist in all disciplines of fire, whether it be relieving, relieving firefighters on the fire ground, whether it be search and rescue, whether it be um, incident management teams. Kauai also sent people a day or so after Oahu, and um, they sent, I want to say 18 people. I, didn't, I don't have the final number yet, but each and every one of them made a huge difference in allowing rest for for our firefighters but they're still in that mode the firefighters don't want to give up they don't want to give up hope they don't want to give up on their teammates and their community you know we're thankful for all federal resources the state resources department resources from around our country that came to help because we needed it and you know sometimes you don't want to ask for help but there's times when you just have to accept it and move on and let's let's try to have some saves you know in this whole process and so the, the spirit of the community is amazing. And that's one thing I have to be proud of. All of our islands have this resilient spirit to overcome disaster. You know, whether it be hurricanes, lava flows, eruptions, you know, tsunamis, fires, they're there for each other all the time. We want to thank all the people who are donating 
everything they have for the people on Maui. We really, really appreciate that. People are chartering boats, bringing their own boats, flying things on aircraft, uh, shipping items, shipping cars, shipping everything that you could imagine for these people to have what they need to survive and feel secure. As you know, there is a housing shortage in Hawaii. So losing 2,200 residents is going to be a a big problem in the months and years to come. There's no way we're going to be able to rebuild those fast enough. So assistance will be needed during those times. And especially in the planning stage, as things move forward, we need to look at more resiliency for our people, for our commercial items. All of those things, we just need to figure out a better system out and not not do it the same way. A lot of what held Lahaina together was its incredible history in, in, in Hawaii. The history goes back to all the kingdoms, right? So as a little over 2,000 years of Hawaiian kingdoms of different islands and then merging together under King Kamehameha in 1718, that was the first capital of Hawaii, Lahaina Town. And so the history... Just in that small area near uh, Prison Street and Front Street is a huge loss to just the the people. With digital archives and things that we have will be saved and and have been saved, you know, because people have been trying to do their their due diligence in, in keeping the steps of how our Hawaiian community evolved. So um, the structures and a lot of those artifacts are gone. Those will need to be rebuilt at some point in time as well, just to maintain part of the history. When you think of the history of of Lahaina Town specifically, and being an old whaling town, there are a few buildings that were still there that were well over 150 years old. When a fire like this moves through a town or a village like that, especially wind-driven the way it was, it's, it's almost impossible to protect. You know, that, that's hard to accept. But I, I want to thank everyone who's reached out to uh, help our community. Just know that in a year, in five years, and in 10 years, we're still going to need help. So I just, I wanted to say that and try not to forget about us. Of course. And I appreciate you sharing that very emotional uh, components to the story that just doesn't necessarily get captured in the news. JB. Yeah, Bob, you just hit it. Bob. <laughs> Jeff, I, I, the first thing I have to tell you is uh, I commend you for your leadership. I can feel the emotion. I can feel the passion. We're here with you. Wish we could actually be there with you in, in this battle that you're waging right now. And just, just appreciate you so much. I want to give a quick shout out to the hardworking men of all the firefighters from the islands that you mentioned. Nevada Task Force One is out there. I know there's many task forces that are there that they're they're in the trenches. They're battling with you. I want to give a shout out to those hardworking men and women and the, all those behind the scenes. The question I, I want to ask you is as you waited for reinforcements to come in. How were you able to join with law enforcement in those first initial steps? How were you able to, is there anything that you can share with, with the listeners to quickly join with, with the law enforcement in, in, such, in such a tragedy in that moment? So our department has a longstanding working relationship with law enforcement, Maui Police Department. They were working together on the front line to, from the get-go. You know, so I'm not there on the ground, but I have been helping with resources and trying to make the connections from from people from afar 
and people close. So what they did was they started working on the incident command system, right? So law enforcement took a section of that, uh, of recovery and all of those things while fire just continued to deal with fire because of the three or four fires that were existing at the same time. Even though the fire swept through Lahaina, swept through Kula, there was still huge opportunity for it to do much more damage in our south end of Kihei and McKenna and Wailea. So that was another thing on, on the front. And when the National Guard uh, mobilized their air units when we could finally fly two days later, then we started to make headway against all of these things as a group. You know, the wind started this whole event and it held it up for a long time as well. So once we were able to get the resources in, flying in and also flying in all those areas to at least maintain the brakes, a lot of private companies came out to help with fire breaks and all of those things. So it was all hands on deck by all of the community, you know, construction companies, county workers, state workers, all of them, aircraft rescue, everybody was working together. It, it's always impressive to see a community just bond together based on their needs. And they already know what to do. And, you know, waiting for the plan to be developed as it was moving so quickly, I think they caught up on it pretty quick. Like I say, you know, those those two departments historically are great partners. And we've always had a wonderful relationship with our law enforcement partners. Chief Roper, I want to bring you into the conversation. Now, we, you and I, Western Fire Chiefs, were with the Hawaii Fire Chiefs last year um, at their annual conference. You specifically were meeting with a group of stakeholders, policymakers, practitioners in, in Hawaii, talking through some wildfire policy and preparations and planning. Could you share with us from your experience, what is the uniqueness of wildfire in Hawaii when compared to fires in California or Oregon, Washington, or anywhere else on the mainland? Bob, I, I want to, first of all, thank Jeff for his comments, his heartfelt messages. It's a story to be told about how a community comes together. My visit in December, I met with the Hawaii Fire Chiefs, like you said, and with a Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization. And, you know, one of the key takeaways is that I was impressed with Hawaii was number one is that as we deal with national wildfire policies, we deal with policies that fit the continental U U.S. We don't take a minute to look at the different ecosystems that are out there in the Pacific Islands, Alaska, and even Puerto Rico, the Caribbean areas. So we got to quit taking and looking at a one-size-fits-all type of thing and look at what makes an area unique? The people, the culture, the ecosystems, and so forth. And people ask me, well, what happened in Hawaii? Could it happen in the, in the continental U.S.? And I go, absolutely. Hawaii, I think, was just one of those areas that, number one, it's an island. Maui County is an island, okay? So naturally, you're constricted by how much labor force you have and so forth. But the point I always try to tell people this is, is that in a major wind-driven event like this, it didn't matter if there was a thousand firefighters on Hawaii, the weather was overcoming this. So emergency response is not always the panacea that some people think it is. 
it's much different. It has to be developed in how a community is built. And really our challenge is this, is you look at a community that has already been built. It's been there for years, decades and decades. And now with climate change and the weather factors have changed, but our communities have not. And so when a fire starts like this, um, the weather is gonna take over. But the challenge is, how do you take a community that's already built, get them to understand what's changed in life with climate change and so forth, and how do we retrofit and maintain a community? I think in the days to come, when a after action report is done on the fires on Maui, then it will be a challenge with the policymakers. What do they do differently? than what was done in the past. I can't tell you, it's gonna take time. People are gonna to have to have public dialogue. But the question is, is that, well, can what happened in Maui, can it happen in the continental US? And absolutely. We have some areas of our country that only have a one, one station fire department. And, they don't have immediate help. You know, their design, it's not a new community uh, and they're gonna get caught in the same area. So I think you, Hawaii has some unique features, but the overall hazard that's out there is still come to play. And it seems, you know, Chief Murray mentioned Santa Ana winds in terms of a comparison and these, gosh, you know, hurricane force winds, are the the one variable that seems to take, you know, what I would, I'm using air quotes for our listeners, you know, what was typical wildfire activity and has turned it into these catastrophic mega fires. And it's consistent with some of these more recent those. And, and I agree with the conditions you're speaking about. One of the things, Chief Roper, that stood out to me that you mentioned when we were together was, you know, acre for acre in terms of total land of the state against what burns Hawaii is one of the highest, if I remember the discussion right. Term, even when you look at total acres burn and, and maybe numerically it's smaller, but when you look at it as a ratio of available land in, in Hawaii, Hawaii was already on the radar for being at, at extreme risk for wildfire. Is that accurate? Yeah. And I think that goes with what we were talking about, the, the ecosystems in Hawaii. In the continental U.S., we talk about doing prescribed burning. And as I learned more about their ecosystems, a lot of their ecosystems do not regenerate after a fire. So the idea of doing a prescribed burn may not be of the same value, it may be more detrimental in Hawaii than it is in the continental US. That's why I say that we have to be respectful of each of the ecosystems of the different areas of our country. Right. And the volcano disasters, Chief Murray, stood out to me in my time in Hawaii. It was the first time I'd ever been to Hawaii was last year or something. It wasn't in the IFSTA manual when I went through uh, Fire Academy handling these vol volcano emergencies. And so just to, to Chief Roper's point, it speaks to some uniqueness 
to the terrain. I was hoping you could speak briefly. I wanted to kick it back to you for a second. When we spoke last week, you were reporting on as you were in this in the disaster uh, that there was another hurricane or other hurricane uh, nearing the island that was almost an emergency within an emergency. How did that play out? And is that still a concern for those that are on the ground today? Yes, actually. Uh, so Hurricane Greg passed already. Didn't bring much rain, but right now Fernando is here and is and is bringing rain to the southern areas of the island chain. So Big Island and Maui are up on almost on a flood watch at this present time. So I know Big Island is getting some rain right now. That could be another major factor as to hampering recovery and hampering this process to move forward came down to a tropical storm but still it's bringing a lot of a lot of wet weather and and some wind you know not not quite like what it was earlier i mean it's very similar to that hurricane moving through um off of mexico moving up to washington right now chief roper you're in your experience you know rain the storms with, with significant rain on the heels of a wildfire poses its own challenge you know outside of of what rain would normally be like to a community if it's hitting an area that's been ravaged with wildfire how how does that end up impacting the community well one of the most prime examples is after the 2017 uh, thomas fire in california one of the largest fires in state history it was just about 30 days after that a storm cell passed over just in that far north area above Santa Barbara. It dumped a concentrated amount of rain in a very short number of uh, minutes. And we ended up with, I believe, 24 people lost and not all the bodies have been found today. Is the massive erosion from the mud flow and so forth. And that was what just recently with the hurricane um, uh, Hillary that was coming through, that was everybody's worst fears of the post-fire areas. And they they became quite prepared, but on the news, it featured walls of mud and debris flowing down from those areas. Wow. For, and for our listeners less familiar with wildfire, I mean, you can just feel how how complex these incidents are and uh, and and how damaging these natural and disasters can be. And recovery is uh, is not quick to Chief Murray's point and that Hawaii will need a, assistance uh, in the in the coming years to decade to decade plus. And to what Chief Roper added to the conversation is much of the ecosystem may not may not grow back. And it's those are those are scars forever. Uh, let's bring in Grady Joseph. You're on the ground in Maui. Grady, you're no stranger to recovery. You've unfortunately, by the nature of your position, uh, when you were with the governor's Office of Emergency Services, worked in this recovery um, operation space. So you've, you've one, seen certainly your share of disasters. Uh, you're on the ground in Maui. Could you share with our listeners, you know, what are you experiencing there? What are, what are you seeing in terms of the experience that you have before and then if you would share with us how the recovery process you know, where it starts and how it starts absolutely 
Um, so first and foremost, just to uh, echo Chief Murray, Chief Murray's point is the incredible resilience of the community. I mean, I've honestly been to a lot of disasters, a lot of wildfires in California, and you know, one of the most powerful parts of these disasters and and the tragedy that it surrounds is how these communities come together to help one another. The government was obviously busy fighting the fire and, and, you know, helping to support the community. But, you know, in the early days there before uh, FEMA and additional assets could come in, you know, the people just banded together to get resources, set up distribution points and, and really uh, did everything that they could, including bringing in resources by boat um, to really help one another and, and open up their homes for uh, survivors to be able to, you know, join them. And so that's really been the, the most um, heartwarming portion of, of being here and being on the ground. You know, we uh, dealt with the Paradise Fire in California, and, and that was really one of the most similar situations that, that I've seen in my career with uh, the amount of devastation and the destruction and the unfortunate loss of life and similar wind patterns that came through the town of Paradise uh, when that fire occurred. There's not a lot that you can do when you have uh, winds at that rate of speed and that rate of spread. Um, other than, you know, get out of the way as much as you can. And so seeing the community and, and everybody around the island and, and the rest of Hawaii, as well as, you know, individuals coming from the mainland to come to help uh, has really been, you know, one of the, the most heartwarming parts of this response and, and the best thing to see. And so that's, you know, fantastic. And there's going to be a need for a lot more of that support. The damage is obviously catastrophic. The area has been closed off as they you know, do the search and recovery mission, and, and that's ongoing. I think it's about 85% of the area has been uh, searched thus far and, and a lot of work to do there going forward. Folks have been moved mostly out of shelters and into hotels or other non-congregate settings, which is a, a great thing to see. The Red Cross and FEMA have been doing fantastic work uh, to support the county and support the state in that mission. As we come into the next few weeks and months, is really going to be the, the complicated components of this. So uh, debris removal is going to start here pretty soon. Uh, the California, sorry, the US EPA has been tasked with removing household hazardous waste. The you know, really uh, nasty thing about these wildfires that damage a lot of structures is that you have all sorts of toxic substances that burn and become part of the ash. And so some of that's becoming airborne now uh, with it being hurricane season. There's you know huge challenges and, and uh, going to be issues with the watershed and those debris flows that Chief Roper spoke about. And so those are the top priorities at the moment. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has been tasked with debris removal. And so once uh, EPA can come in and, and remove that household hazardous waste and the you know easily accessible um, high toxicity elements from the environment, uh, they'll begin to remove debris. And so they're going to start out by removing the, the structures themselves and the ash. And then because of the nature of the toxicity that gets bound into the soils, they're actually going to you know, take six to 12 inches of uh, soil as well and test each parcel to make sure that a lot of that uh, substance has been removed and those uh, parcels are safe to begin rebuilding on. But that's going to take time, right? After the campfire and, and the town of Paradise burned down, it took uh, the state almost a year to remove all the debris from those. And so it's a, it's a long road ahead. Uh, just to get to the place where we can begin to rebuild. And um, so, you know, just to, to echo, it's going to require a, a lot of continued support and, and we really got to keep uh, the people of Maui and our 
thoughts and prayers, um, the historic nature of the downtown Lahaina, right, and the historical significance of that in the culture uh, is another component that's, you know, really going to need to have a lot of attention on it to make sure that um, that can be, you know, saved and, and those memories and everything can live on. Thank you for that, for the recap. And I think that's valuable for folks to hear, uh, you know, what, what's next and, and how does recovery begin and where do we go from here? I, I was also hoping, Grady, you'd share a little bit. You lead the Western Fire Chiefs Association's digital da- damage assessment team in that process. Could you tell us a little bit about digital damage assessment and how it helps uh, officials with the recovery you just described? Absolutely. So getting a sense of, of what's been destroyed after a disaster is one of the first steps that has to happen in order for, you know, all the different pieces of parts of resources to come in. After a disaster, over a dozen different entities will go look at the same structure. Um, First, to get an initial assessment of what was damaged and destroyed. And then you have, um, you know, the various government agencies, FEMA, the Small Business Administration, insurance companies, all coming through and collecting different pieces of data um, on those parcels to categorize that. And so digital damage assessment is really about adding additional uh, sources of data and imagery into that process to create a single source of truth or a common operating picture of what's been damaged. So one of the things that we experienced in California quite often was you want to do a damage assessment and you have kind of one of two ways to do that. get imagery from satellites, but oftentimes the smoke obscures those satellites and prevents you from being able to get a good picture of the destruction um, for days or weeks afterwards. And then, you know, the secondary way is by sending teams house by house or structure by structure uh, with maybe an iPad app or something of that nature. Oftentimes it's a clipboard and paper and collecting the information on the parcel and, and, you know, how that damage was incurred. And so, uh, you know, we're using a combination of street view cameras that capture 360 degree imagery and drones to mirror that Im- that data up with satellites and other uh, sources of imagery to create a comprehensive picture of the areas that have been damaged. And that allows a number of things to happen. Uh, one, you can get a sense and validation for, you know, whose parcels and whose structures were destroyed so that um, additional assistance from FEMA can be provided very, very quickly. And then you can also use that exact same data set for the insurance companies to, you know, begin the claims process. Insurance is always the number one uh, way that people are going to recover. The uh, government programs are around, but they do not by any means, they're not designed to make people whole again. And so really being able to have that single source of truth that all these entities that are often uh, disparate, maybe not quite as disconnected or quite as connected as we would like them to be and coordinated to operate off of that single source of truth so that uh, that relief and those recovery funds can be brought to bear more quickly, more efficiently, and ideally uh, simplify the process for the survivors because, um, you know, the last thing that you want is after losing everything is to have a bureaucratic disaster on top of the actual destruction that occurred. And so, you know, we really want to, uh, through digital damage assessment, uh, create the tools and those base data sets to be able to make that process more efficient and uh, get people back on the road to recovery more quickly. Excellent. 
Well, I tell you, I, we know we know Hawaii is grateful to have you on the ground. We're grateful to have the Western Fire Chiefs Digital Damage Assessment Team uh, ready and available for the for the folks out there to help speed up that recovery. Because that has been also my experience in disaster: is getting good information into the system as quickly as reasonably possible, get the insurance process started so that you can recover and rebuild. And we're we're grateful to have you out there uh, helping lead that effort. Chief Buchanan and I were hearing some of the story from Chief Murray as he briefed out the Western Fire Chiefs board last week at the Fire Rescue International Conference in Kansas City. And, and Chief Murray, I know for obvious reasons you couldn't be out there with us, but the love and spirit and support of the of the international fire community is in the in the hearts of of Maui and Hawaii and all of you there. Uh, there was great love and attention from the U.S. Fire Administration and the leadership of the IAFC. Because I agree with you, Chief Murray, that you know we have to learn, and that, that's what we need to do in this industry. We need to learn from each event, or each each incident, or each call, or whatever is impacting firefighters. Learn and be stronger and, and more resilient. And I'm confident, based on what I had heard as a commitment from the leadership of these agencies, uh, that we are going to learn uh, from this, and we are going to be better and stronger. Um, and so we wanted to pass that along. I know, I know, Jeff did. It was a great conference overall, uh, but. The the spirit and, and thoughts were were definitely in the hearts of those in Hawaii. Thank you. That's a big mahalo from from our people. Thank you, and Chief. We know that thoughts and prayers are always welcome in this in these types of events, but so is money. Many of our listeners want to help, and uh, and because they're fire, many are fire officials. They also don't want to be in the way, uh, sending things that aren't useful for for the community. Uh, how can those who are listening who want to donate? Where could we direct them to uh, help the effort there on the island? Thank you for that opportunity. Right now, the Hawaii Red Cross would be a good source of donation. The Hawaii Fire Chiefs Association is working on getting their uh, avenue to get money to the people that were actually affected by it, um, firefighters and all of those people. So we're, that should be done in a week. Oh, absolutely. And we are uh, just incredibly grateful for your time and for all of our guests today and sharing your insight this is a heavy story, uh, but we want to talk about it. We wanted to learn and straight from you, Chief Murray, and the work that you're doing. Uh, we are proud of your leadership and your perseverance. Please keep us, the Western Fire Chiefs and the fire community informed of how we can be helpful. We will we will be there with you as you go through this, as the community continues to go through this. I want uh, everyone to know that uh, our department and their leadership from Chief Ventura, Chief Fujioka, and all of their men and women. I can see it. I can I can hear it when I speak to them um, daily. They've done a great job. But again, what Chief Roper brought, brought up, when, when nature takes over a situation, there's there's no amount of people that can, can stop that. And I know they tried to the point where they had to save themselves and the people around them. I appreciate everybody that was on the ground and still on the ground making everything happen and, and still in care and love in our community. Thanks. Thanks to the County of Maui. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you all. Thank you, Chief Roper. Thank you, Operations League, Grady Joseph, Chief Murray for your time, Chief Buchanan, of course. Thank you for joining us on Fire Headlines. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you have a question for the panel, please reach out to us at fireheadlines at wfca.com. And please let us know what's on your mind. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of Fire Headlines. Mm-hmm.